Welcome to the Ray of Hope Church podcast. We believe that hope changes everything, so get ready for an encouraging message from the Word of God. We pray that you would receive wisdom and revelation as you grow in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Stand with me this morning. We have been starting and into a series called The Making of Me. How many of you realize that uh, the Lord is always making you and shaping you and directing you and making you into what he wants to make you? I want to talk to you this morning about, Lord, make me a thankful worshiper. Say that with me. Lord, make me a thankful worshiper. Let's say it again. Lord, make me a thankful worshiper. Now, just in case you didn't get it and somebody didn't say it, we're going to say it one more time because Thanksgiving should not just be one day a year. It should be continually giving thanks to his name. Here we go. Lord, make me a thankful worshiper. Pick up your Bible. We're going to go to the Psalms this morning. And while you're standing, we're going to read one verse together. Psalm 69, verse number 30. This Psalm says, I will praise the name of God with a song and will magnify him with thanksgiving. I will praise the name of God with the song, will magnify him with thanksgiving. I, I was kind of amazed this week as I was studying how many times praise, worship, and thanksgiving are all together. Praise, worship, thanksgiving. They're collectively lumped up in so many passages, it's hard to separate one from another. I mean, they can be separated, but praise, worship, thanksgiving. Praise, worship, thanksgiving. And, and they signify our relationship with Almighty God. Do you agree with that? Let's pray. Father, thank you for our gathering together. Thank you for our time together. Speak to our hearts in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Turn to your neighbor and say, I'm glad you're here today. One of the first things we teach our children, and I've seen it here, and, and I kind of have a, a habit, and this is a good habit, I guess. Uh, sometimes when our kids go through, I'll give them a dollar or give them a, a quarter or give them a piece of candy. just kind of depends what I have in my pocket. <laughs> and uh, I'll, I'll give something to the little kids. And one of the things the parents always say to the little ones, and most of the time the little ones already have it down, but this is what parents say to the little ones. You, you say what? Thank you. It's one of the first lessons we learn in life is the attitude of gratitude. We say thank you. So we're trying to teach our kids to say thank you. Now, how many of you know God has some kids? He's our father, we're his children, and we ought to have that same attitude where we constantly say thanks. Now, let me give you just some verses here that tie this together. Psalm 147, verse 7, Sing unto the Lord with what? Thanksgiving. Psalm 100, enter his gates with thanksgiving, his course with praise. Be thankful unto him, bless his name. Hebrews 10 and 1, let's go to the New Testament. The writer says, the law is only a shadow of the good things that are coming, not the realities themselves. For this reason it can never by the same sacrifice repeated endlessly year after year make perfect those who draw near to worship. So three things here. Number one, those things under the law were only a shadow looking forward to the reality that was coming. 
And secondly, those sacrifices could never make us perfect nor get us to the place where we should be. They, they brought lambs and oxen and heifers and turtle doves and pigeons. I mean, they brought all kinds of sacrifices and they sacrificed them continually for decades and decades, for hundreds of years. But the writer says what we know is that none of those sacrifices could make us perfect or get us to where we needed to be. So we're looking to another sacrifice. We're looking to the perfect sacrifice and that sacrifice is the Lord Jesus Christ. Better promises, better blood. Jesus gave his life so that you and I could receive the perfect sacrifice. Once Jesus gave his life, shed his blood, and resurrected on the third day, you and I don't need any more sacrifices. How many of you believe he is sufficient? He is enough. So now today, we are worshiping, we're thankful for what he's done. Look at the last line, your attention please. He said those sacrifices year after year could not make those people perfect who drew near to worship. So let's flip that over. What if we have the right sacrifice, the right blood, but if we draw near to worship, what happens to us? We're being perfected. Every time you come to worship corporately, Every time you worship in your car, every time you go in your prayer closet, every time you're out in the field, every time you're in the office, and you lift up your heart and your voice and your life and your hands and your words, guess what's happening? Every time you come into the presence of God, something is happening in you. Something is happening in me. The Bible says from faith to faith, glory to glory, we're being changed. Now, don't get hung up on this word perfect. Look at your neighbor. You got it, don't you? Okay, look at your neighbor on the other side then. There are no perfect people here. But the word indicates we are moving toward perfection. God is shaping us. He's making us. And every time I come into his presence, guess what? Something's happening in me. Something's happening in you. There's some things he puts in me. There's some things he takes out of me. Anybody got any stuff that they need out of them? Okay, the person sitting beside you, nudge them real hard. Come on, let's get some elbows going in here this morning. We all have some stuff that uh, we need taken out of. Even Baker Mayfield has some stuff he needs some taken out of him. <laughs> it make any difference how good you are. You always have stuff. So every time we come to worship... Every time we come to his presence, what happens? We're being changed from glory to glory, faith to faith. And here the word of God says that happens when we're drawing near to what? Worship. Hebrews chapter 12 verse 28. Therefore, since we're receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us be thankful and so worship God acceptably with reverence and with all. So as we come and worship, we're not just worshiping. We're thankful in our worship. We're thankful in our praise. God is doing something in us. I'm thankful that God's doing something in me. Are you thankful that he's doing something in you? I'm glad he hasn't given up on me. And he hasn't given up on you. I don't care who you are today. I don't care where you came from. The Lord has not given up on you. He is still working on you. Now let's fast forward from the present moment, let's go all the way to heaven. You ready? 
Revelation chapter 7, we're going to go there, verse 9. And after these things, I look, John is telling us this view of heaven. Behold, a great multitude there in heaven, which no one could number, of all nations, tribes, peoples, and tongues, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed with white robes, with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, saying, Salvation belongs to our God, who sits on the throne, and to the Lamb. And all the angels stood around the throne, the elders, the four living creatures. They fell on their faces before the throne, and they worshiped God, saying, and this is what they said. This is where we want to focus just for a moment. Amen. Blessing and glory and wisdom, thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. Guess what? Even in heaven, we're still giving thanks. We're still giving thanks in heaven because of what he's done in our life, what he's doing in our life, and what he shall do in the future and eternity in our life. Now, I don't exactly know what I'm going to be like in heaven. I'm going to be a better model in the future. And you're going to be a better model in the future. John kind of put it this way. We don't know exactly what we shall be like, but we know we're going to be like him. And the him is Jesus. We're going to have a glorified body. He's going to change us in a moment, the twinkling of an eye. We're going to be changed at the resurrection. How many of you know you're going to be changed? So God is not only working on you spiritually, your soul, your spirit, but one day he's going to work on your body to make your body what your body should be. But until then, say that with me, until then, let's say it again, until Till then, we're drawing nigh to worship and God's still working on us. So that's going to continue on. It's going to continue on in your life and my life and even after our life, we're still going to be worshiping and giving thanks. Why is this important, Pastor? Well, let me just give you a little uh, glimpse here. This is from the University of Wisconsin, that great spiritual institution in Wisconsin. University of Wisconsin researchers suggest that individuals who feel grateful experience lower blood pressure, improved immunity, recover more quickly from illnesses and surgeries, more effectively cope with stress. Gratitude has one of the strongest links to mental health, more so than optimism. The benefits can be lifelong. A sense of gratitude can redu reduce the, the lifetime risk for depression, anxiety, and even substance abuse. Isn't it, isn't it sad when even the secular world will acknowledge sometimes what the church won't even acknowledge? That being thankful has therapeutic values in our life. And folks, this is a secular study. So if we know that from just head knowledge... How many of you know from heart knowledge and from scripture, we ought to know living a life of gratitude, the attitude of gratitude, the attitude of worship, the attitude of praise, the attitude of thanksgiving, just makes your life much better. And it makes no difference really where you are in the journey and on the pathway. We can be thankful. We can open up our voice and we can be thankful. It was Longfellow who said the human voice is the organ of the soul. That your voice can make beautiful music. And you say, well, wh what do you mean? I'm not a singer. I'm, I'm not one who can play. I'm not one who can sing opera. I can't even sing country. Well, do you know that when your parents hear your voice, 
when your children speak, there's something about that speaking to a parent that makes them happy. Listen, whenever my boys call Carrie, she's much more happier to hear from them than me sometimes. And I will go home. She said, well, the boys called. Wow. The boys called. Oh, the boys are coming home. Wonderful. You've heard me say, if I smell fresh baked cookies in my house, somebody's coming to my house. They're not for me. Somebody's coming. Because we as parents, your heavenly father wants to hear your voice. And we declare with our voice, we worship. Do you realize that singing is mentioned about 68 times in the Psalms? As a matter of fact, the Psalms is the song book for Israel, right? 68 times they talk about singing. Why do we sing before the word? Because that atmosphere prepares you to receive the word. When we did the series on the blood, I didn't mention this, but let me just mention it now. That high priest, before he would go into the the holy place to sprinkle the blood on the Ark of the Covenant, you know what he also took with him? He took a handful of incense. And when he went through that veil, when he pierced the veil to go in the Holy of Holies, he put that incense on the censer so that that censer would burn and put that atmosphere throughout the Holy of Holies because you want to have the right atmosphere to apply the blood. And so when we come to praise and worship and give thanksgiving, you know what it does? It creates an atmosphere. Listen to the word of God, Psalm 51, 15. Open up my lips, Lord, and my mouth will declare your praise. My mouth will what? Declare your praise. You see, worship is more about who he is and praise is more about what he's done. So we worship him for who he is. We praise him for what he's done, although it's very tightly knit together. And it's almost impossible to worship and worry at the same time. It really is. If you're really entering into worship, your focus now is averted from your problems and the issues and the challenges of your life. And now your attention is is focused on the Lord, the God of heavens, the King of kings, the Lord of lords. So whenever we focus on him, we tend to lower the worry level and the stress level and there are elements of worship and praise that will always help us to get in that right place to see God move in supernatural ways. How many of you know we we serve a supernatural God and we have to approach him in a supernatural way. Let me give you a couple of elements of worship and praise. Number one is the vertical. Say that with me. The vertical. Now let's all say it. The vertical. Our worship, our praise, our thanksgiving is directed toward God. It's, it's vertical. Throughout the Psalms, and I just made a list of things that go up. Notice this. I lift up my eyes. I lift up my hands. I lift up my voice. I lift up my soul. I will lift up my hands like the evening sacrifice. I will lift up my voice. I will lift up my eyes to the hills from whence cometh my help. I will lift up my soul. So all these references are what? The lifting up. Lifting up. Lifting up. Now some of you, you may be new here. Maybe you you, you didn't come from a background like some of us came from. And certainly I didn't when I was uh, younger. And you come in here and people are lifting up their voice. They're saying amen. They're praising the Lord. They're lifting up their hands. You're saying, what is going on in here? This is like crazy stuff. Well, it's only crazy if it's not in the Word of God. 
But if it's in the Word of God, then I have to say, you know, this is in the Word of God. When did they put that in there? Because some of you are actually taught against some of those things. Now, when we come to the Word, the Word says, clap your hands, all ye people, and shout unto God with the voice of triumph. It didn't say scream or act goofy. You can shout. You can be demonstrative. But it didn't say, clap your hands, all ye Pentecostals. It said, clap your hands, all ye people. We got any people here? Okay. So, if you're a people, then you can express your gratitude, express your praise, express your worship by clapping, raising your voice, lifting up your eyes, lifting up your hands, lifting up your soul. So, this is a vertical worship, praise, thanksgiving. But it's also horizontal. Now, let me tell you what I mean by horizontal. What happens when we collectively worship, praise, give thanks? We entreat the presence of God. He inhabits the praises of his people. So if his people are praising and worshiping and giving thanks, we're not performing, we're not spectating, we're participating. And when we do that, then the presence of the Lord inhabits our praise and now it goes into horizontal for those who don't know him. Watch this. In Psalm 9, verse 11, sing the praises of the Lord enthroned in Zion. Proclaim among the nations what he's done. Let me give you another verse here. This is Psalm 40, verse 3. He has put a new song in my mouth. Praise to our God. Many will see it in fear and will trust in the Lord. So this is what the psalmist is saying. Paul kind of refers to the same thing in 1 Corinthians chapter 14. When unbelievers come into our midst, when unbelievers gather with us, those who are seekers, those who don't really know about the Lord, or maybe they're starting their journey, they're not, they're not really familiar with worship or praise or thanksgiving, but when they hear you worship, and when they hear you praise, guess what happened? It doesn't just go vertical. What happens? It goes horizontal. Be because the psalmist says, the nations will hear. The nations will hear. Th then he says, those that hear my new song. He says, they will fear and what? Trust in the Lord. So when you worship... And when you praise and when you give thanksgiving, you know what you're doing? You're going vertical to God and you're going horizontal to the people around you that need to hear what the Lord is like. What is his characteristics? What, what's his mercy? What's his grace? What's his power? What's his truth? And so we're declaring that through worship, praise, and thanksgiving. Can I hear an amen? amen. Who's going to help me preach this morning? Amen. I'm doing better than what you think. Let me give you, this morning, the protocol of worship. If you have a pencil and paper, I want you to get it out just for a moment or two. I want to go to Psalm 100. This is one of the most amazing passages for praise and worship. Make a joyful noise to the Lord, all ye lands. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come before his presence with singing. Know you that the Lord, he is God. It is he who has made us and not we ourselves. We are his people, the sheep of his pasture. Enter his gates with thanksgiving, his courts with praise. Be thankful to him. Bless his name for the Lord is good. His mercy is everlasting. His truth endures to all generations. So look at verse 1. Make a joyful noise unto the Lord. That word noise means shout. Make a joyful shout to the Lord. Every once in a while, we shout. That's okay. How many of you know that's in the Bible? 
It's not an uncertain sound. It's not an off sound. It's a shout to God with the voice of triumph. Now, here's the second thing. Serve the Lord with gladness. Serving is worship. Serving is worship. When you and I serve, it becomes worship to Almighty God. I don't care if you're serving donuts or serving music or song or you're serving out here in the secular world and whatever you put your hand to do, do it all in his name so that he might be glorified, right? Whether you're serving in any capacity, you have an act of worship through your service. Now I want you to catch this. Serving is worship. And it makes no difference the height, the depth, the element of worship. All worship is serving and all serving is worship. You say, well, what I do is not that important. Listen, you can't even give a cup of cold water without a reward. Have you ever read that in the Bible? You can even give a cup of cold water to someone in service that the Lord doesn't see it. Service becomes an act of worship. Verse 3. Know that he is the Lord. He is God. So what do we do? Worship, praise, thanksgiving. He's saying, you're God. I'm not. How many of you know a lot of people that need to be dethroned? I mean, their theme song is, I did it my way. You know, that is the theme song of hell. I did it my way. So, what happens? We acknowledge that he's God. I'm not God. You're not God. He's God. So, he is the Lord. He is God. It is he who has made us. He's the creator. So, your worship is sometimes exuberant. It is in serving, it's acknowledging that he is God, it's acknowledging that he's the creator. Do you realize that we have not made ourselves according to that verse? So if I believe in evolution, I contradict scripture. Because if I say you're God and you've created me, then I realized I did not crawl out on the beach 10 million years ago and I didn't go from the goo through the zoo to become you. <laughs> now listen. It is he who has made us and not we ourselves. Have you ever heard someone say, well, I'm a self-made man? Just say, yeah, it looks like it. I'm a self-made woman. Yeah, it looks like it. Nobody is self-made. He's our creator. Every good and perfect gift comes down from the Father of lights. There's no variableness. There's no shadow of turning. So we realize that he's the creator. He's made us. We had made ourselves. We are his people. We're the sheep of his pasture. Are, are you glad that you're his? Th this is what I found out from my kids growing up. When they had a need, guess who they called? They called me. It, had not, it hadn't completely stopped. <laughs> Y'all are so holy. It hadn't completely stopped. So, so if he made me 
And, and I, I'm not a self-made person, and, and I'm his, and I'm the sheep of his pasture. So when, when we have needs, what do we do? We call out on the Lord, don't we? So we call out on the Lord. What are we doing? We're doing what children do. We call out to Daddy. And we have been given the spirit of adoption whereby we cry, Abba, Father, Dad, I need some help here. And what, what is that? That is in the protocol of worship. We are his people, the sheep of his pasture. And the good news is, not every child is calling me from Oklahoma City. Just mine. Because they know that they have a father. And so everyone who is called by his name can do what? They can call on him and he will answer because he knows who are his, right? How many of you know this is good news? And this is the protocol of worship. Let me interject something here. I didn't know this in the early service. I was reading an article about three or four days ago about someone who went in before a king. This was years ago. And certainly still today in countries there are kings and there are queens. And they actually are given a little course before they go in to royalty in the presence of a king or a queen. And they were rehearsing this and they said that the people from that country gave them a little tutorial before they went in. They said, when you go in, this is how you go in. This is what you do. This is what you say. This is what you don't do. This is what you don't say. Because if you say the wrong thing, if you do the wrong thing, they will escort you out of their presence. Do you realize you and I are coming in to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords? Jesus Christ is the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, and we're coming into his presence. And the Bible says the way we get into his presence is we, we come with what? Thanksgiving and praise. Look at verse 4. Enter his gates with thanksgiving, his courts with praise. Thanksgiving and praise opens up the doors for us and it gives us access to get into the presence of God. You say, well, Pastor Mike, I'm always in his presence. That's true. You're always in his omnipresence, but you're not always in his intimate presence. Everyone's in his omnipresence. But you have felt it, I have felt it, you've known it, I've known it. There are times we get into the very intimate presence of God. Same way with a couple, a marriage. You may be in their presence, but someone gets into their intimate presence, right? Sometimes we go into the intimate presence of God. Sometimes we are there, and sometimes we're in the omnipresence of God. But praise and worship and thanksgiving, what? Brings you into the intimate presence of God. It gives you access. But in his presence, notice what this, this psalm says, I give thanks and I bless his name. While I'm there, I give thanks I bless his name. I speak of his goodness, and God is good, and he's good all of the time. I also speak of his mercy, and I declare his truth. Now, here's something about the truth. His truth is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. We live in a generation, we live in a culture that truth is relative. What our grandparents said was truth 50, 60, 70 years ago, our culture says is not truth today. What the Word of God says is truth, our culture says is not truth. So here's our challenge. If I'm going to be a worshiper, if I'm going to be a praiser, if I'm going to be thankful, I acknowledge his truth. 
Now notice how this truth is described. His truth is fought from generation to what? Generation. This truth is generational. It's not true for this generation and then not true for this generation over here. What was true for this generation is true for this generation. Don't tell me about this emerging culture that the truth has changed. It has not changed. Well, five people believe it hadn't changed. It hadn't changed. Fads change. Dresses change. Hairstyles change. Shoes change. Boots change. Jewelry change. Truth doesn't change. If it was true then, it's true today. It's true from generation to what? Generation. Now, those are some of the protocols of worship. We've got to worship in truth. John 4, 24 says, God is a spirit. They that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. Saying the same thing that the psalmist said hundreds of years before. So what Jesus says in John 4 the psalmist has already declared in Psalm 100, and let me tell you, there are about 14 generations between that Psalm of David and that statement of Jesus, but from generation to generation to generation to generation, the truth is still the same. Psalm 34, verse 3. Let's wrap this up this morning. This is Psalm of David. Oh, magnify the Lord with me. Let us exalt his name together. Let's, re, re, let's, let's say it together. Here we go. Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. Uh, you do know that we can't make God any bigger than he already is. He's a big God. I mean, I'm, I'm not going to make him any bigger than he already is. Uh, I mean, I don't even know how big he is. You don't know how big he is. But he's a big God, right? Matter of fact, he's, he, he fills all space, time, eternity, He's the God who was and is and shall come. I mean, he, he's a big God, right? But here's the key. It's not that I magnify God bigger, but I magnify him bigger for me. Oh, come and magnify the Lord with me. So David says, magnify the Lord with me. So when we come together, what are we doing? We're magnifying the Lord together. Let us exalt his name together. Oh, magnify the Lord with me. You see, when I bring God into my problem and I bring God into my situation, let me tell you what happens. The more I magnify God, the smaller my problem becomes. The more I magnify God, the smaller my situation becomes, my challenges become. Because when I bring him in, my problems are they're dwarfed by the presence of God. So as we worship God, our worry subsides and our problems get smaller. At 3 o'clock this morning, I woke up anticipating we'd be together this morning. I felt like I didn't have everything I needed to meet with you today. So at 3 o'clock, I go in and I sit in my recliner. I had a glass of tea there left over from earlier in the night. Let me tell you how groggy I was. I went in there, and I know you never do this, but at 3 o'clock in the morning, I'm kind of walking like this down the hall. 
And I sit in the recliner. I knock the tea over in the floor. It goes all over the coffee table. It goes in the floor. So Carrie never knew this, so don't tell her. And, and so I get up and I get the mop and I have to rearrange the furniture and pick stuff up. And, and I mop up the tea and, and uh, get everything kind of back in order. So now I'm really awake. How many of you know the Lord knows how to wake you up <laughs> at 3 o'clock in the morning? And I turn to 1 Samuel chapter 17 to reread the story of David and Goliath. It's a story that we've heard ever since we've been little kids, right? And I'm always amazed why they keep putting stuff in the Bible I've never read. Is that true for you? I mean, I've read this story, you've read this story, you, you've looked at things, you said, when did they put that in there? So I wanted to take another look, and I think the Holy Spirit just helped me to take another look at David's victory over the giant. I've never seen this this way before. When I reread it this morning at three, five times before he killed the giant, David did something. He said, well, yeah, he went to the brook and he got five smooth stones. That's not what I'm talking about. I, I got that part. You got that part. Five times before David went to face Goliath, he said this five times. The Lord, the Lord, the Lord, the Lord, the Lord. He referred to the Lord just that way five times before he faced Goliath. You see, sometimes when we're facing giants in our life, if we bring the Lord into the situation, he gets bigger and the giant starts getting smaller. I want you to see what he said because I think this is so very interesting. He said, it's the Lord who delivered me from the lion and the bear. He said, it's the name of the Lord that I'm coming in. The Lord will deliver you into my hand. The Lord does not say with a sword and a shield. And the battle is the Lord's. Now, I know he picked up five smooth stones, but let me tell you, there were five, <laughs> there were five things that were pretty good weapons that David went to fight Goliath with. Do you see when we exalt the Lord, when we lift him up in praise and worship and thanksgiving, you know what happens? Your giant, your problem, your situation will start shrinking and God will get bigger and bigger and bigger. And all of a sudden, you're looking at a big God and you say, you know, my problem's not as big as I thought it was. My challenge is not as big as I thought it was. So... Thursday, we're going to give thanks. But let me tell you, you ought to give thanks as you drive to work. You ought to give thanks as you drive home. You ought to give thanks as you get up. You ought to give thanks when you go to bed. Get in your prayer closet. Give thanks, give thanks, give thanks, give thanks. For the Lord is good and his mercy endures. How long? Forever. And so here we are. David is saying, I am going to exalt the Lord who delivered me, the Lord whose name is great, the Lord who delivers you into my hand, Goliath. And he said that before he ever slung the stone. You know what he's doing? He's confessing in faith. He is declaring in faith. Goodness gracious, let's don't read a few poems and sing a few hymns and go out the same way we came in. We're not playing church. We are the church. We are here to face the giants that we're facing. 
Our culture, our world, our government, our nation, our community is filled with giants. So how do we approach them? Through thanksgiving, through worship, through praise. And as we lift him up, all these things begin to be diminished before us. And then God goes before us and he fights our battles. Let me give you one last account. And I promise this is the last one. Somebody say praise the Lord. An account you're very familiar with. Let's go back a few thousand years. Jehoshaphat's the king. There are three nations that banded together to destroy Israel. Do you know there are nations today that are trying to band together to destroy Israel? Absolutely. If you have any history of World War II, you know that there were evil axes of power. Nations formed together to destroy what was right and holy. Nothing new happened in Jehoshaphat's time. Three nations gathered together. The Moabites, the Ammonites, the inhabitants of Mount Seir, we would say the Syrians. So three nations, they come together, they pool their armies, they're making an in-run through the southwest part, and they're going to invade the land of Judah. The messenger comes to Jehoshaphat the king, and he says, Hey, three nations have joined together. All their armies are coming against us. And Jehoshaphat realizes this. There's absolutely no way in the natural we can win this battle. I mean, you know, a threefold cord is not easily broken. And Jehoshaphat does this. He turns to the Lord and he says, Lord, we know not what to do. But how many of you know the Lord knows what to do? I may not know what to do, but he knows what to do. And so the Lord gives them the plan. The prophet of God receives the plan. He prophesies. And many of you know the story. And this is the plan. It's a, it's a, it's a kind of a weird plan. It's a crazy plan, a wacky plan. But how many of you know God's plan doesn't make earthly sense sometimes? And, and he says... This is what I want you to do. I want you to go engage the enemy. Go out and, and meet them in battle. But don't put the army out in front. Put the worshipers out there. Put the singers out there. Put the choir out there. I'd have quit the choir that day. I said, Wendy, you want me to do what? I want you to go face the enemy. But I don't have a sword. I don't have a shield. I don't have a spear. I don't, I don't, I don't have a weapon. Oh, you got a weapon. It's just not a natural weapon. I want you to go engage the enemy. And the Bible says that they got together and they're marching out to engage the enemy and they're singing as they go. And they're worshiping as they go. And you know what they're singing? They're singing about the holiness of the Lord and the beauty of his holiness <laughs> well when they got there the enemy was already defeated the enemy was already dead you know what happened God went before them and fought their battles all they had to do is pick up the spoils of war they had to just get the billfolds out of the pocket Timex watches off the wrist I mean those folks are going to need it anymore were they 
They, they took the spoils of war back to Israel. What happened? God went before them, and in this case, he used praise and worship to defeat the enemy. Wow. Let's magnify the Lord together. Let's sing of his greatness together. Let's give him praise. Let's give him worship. Let's say, Lord, we are thankful. And the more we do it, the bigger he gets in our life. And the smaller our problems get in our life. And the Lord's exalted. And the Lord's exalted. Bow your head with me. We are so thankful you joined us today. We would love to hear from you at rayofhopepodcast at gmail.com. Let us know how you are encouraged and how we can pray for you. Remember, Christ in you is the hope of glory, and hope changes everything.